Welcome to the Nicole Murphy Podcast, where we explore the impact of media and the power of individual stories on the world that we live in today. Enjoy! As I push record and I, I realize, what's your title at Lakeland Connect, Michael? Is it is it journalist? Is it what what is it? Media manager? Like what what's your title now? I'm realizing I don't even know. Good friend. Well, yeah, it's 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 funny. Uh, sick introduction, by the way, Nicole. Um, your interviewing skills, honestly, <laughs> I tease. But uh, I guess I guess it's back to editor um, for Lakeland Connect. I mean, I only edit my own work and one other uh, reporter's work. Um, play-by-play voice of the Bonneville Junior A Pontiacs. Um, yeah, I guess those would be my my main titles uh one could say but can you believe it is uh it's five years almost to the day that i that i came to uh to bonneville are you kidding me five years five years 2018 i believe i believe it's next week may 15th maybe that it was so (laughs) Hey, I just had a flash. People are going to get to know us real quick here. I just had a flash to when we're in the Funky Buddha and you told I, me. I know what you're going to say, by the way. I know what you're going to say. Like, I can't yeah. remember the exact details, but you're like, like you were like scared. Like you did not want to go. It, it's true. I, uh, so for, for context, I, uh, I had taken Nate's radio and television program as part of completion. You have to do a 15 week uh, practicum to you know get your diploma and uh the the old well was was a little dry for me uh at the time and i would also sort of position myself very specifically i didn't want to do certain things i thought okay let's try to do this thing which is more so writing news and also doing some on air and so it just sort of fell into my lap because it was then also going to be a paid practicum I would have been paid. I got I got the privilege of minimum wage while I worked, which was a huge deal. And so I remember that would have been only a few days before I would have been uh, moving to Bonneville. And yeah, I had I had serious um, apprehensions because I come from a small town, sort of similar to Bonneville. And then it made the move to what we deem as the big city, the big city of Edmonton. Edmonton. And you know how it, the, those lifestyles are different and i thought okay now i'm going to be kind of moving back i don't know what do i do but it really has worked out i, I you know my my apprehensions uh you know maybe they're unfounded maybe there was just you know you're just going through it and you're a little alcohol uh induced and you you know your emotions just start kind of yeah. flowing out of you and so yeah nicole Am I really going to go to Bonneville? <laughs> um, also, I don't know why, but it seems like when your hands are away, the sound sounds a little better. I don't know where your mic is on the computer. Okay, yeah. I will I will That's keep better. my hands to myself. Yes. You were blocking the sound there or something. Um, okay. For some backstory. Why? Over five, about five years ago, where Michael and I at a bar and was he saying, I don't know if I want to go do this practicum in a small town of Bonneville. Um, we worked at the Nate Nugget together. I actually came in to you being the only editor at the paper we had well there was a photo editor too tim but the only editor at the student newspaper and i called michael up 
And I think you were at your Value Village job at the time. And I said, hi, I'm going to be the new editor. Hi, I'm your new boss. <laughs> and how did how did you feel about that? Michael? Well, yeah. So it was funny because uh, so I had gone through the first year at uh, at Nate and slowly sort of moved up because it's such a quick turnaround and gone from assistant sports editor to sports editor to like the last news writer standing. And in the summertime, you know, I was expected to have, you know, some sort of answer about kind of what was going to be happening, like what sort of organizational structure was going to be had within the paper. Would I be the editor in chief and like, therefore a total boss kind of thing or was something else going to happen? And it was sort of at the 11th hour that uh, I'm told, no, no, this Nicole Murphy, do you know her? She's going to be coming in and she's going to be, this new structure is going to be in place and she's going to kind of able to carry through uh, this different semesters and the turnover so that we don't constantly have this problem. And uh, I was working in uh, Value Village in Red Deer uh, that summer. And uh, I think I'd just gotten off shift and I was uh, standing at the uh, the bus stop and you give me a call. And it was, you know, not, not necessarily like the, the greatest of, of uh, first impressions, probably me of you and you of me. And uh, I remember thinking like, what the, what the heck? Like, what would, You're allowed to swear <laughs> well, how is this really going to work? Right? How is this really going to work? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that was sort of our, our first time we really spoke. And then obviously, uh, you know, move back and get settled and we start having meetings. And then soon enough, I think about after, Oh, four or five weeks, we probably started to really actually understand where we were coming from and who we were. And it uh, it really turned into an interesting time, I think. Yeah, it did. And, and a really nice friendship. Like, it's I, I, I remember the time it was like, okay, we're, we'll be able to build this team really well. We had hired a bunch of people. I mean, we're both going to one of the people that we hired's wedding this upcoming weekend. And for those who know, Shauna Bannerman, who is, well, she'll soon be Shauna Murphy, who is the co-owner of East Anchor Productions. Um, Michael and I hired her together. Yes. To, yes, be we did. Editor, to be an editor of the school newspaper for Nate. And I remember I drove you home one day and we went to McDonald's. And that's when we started to actually have conversations about like our lives and where we come from. And I think that's when it was like, okay, we 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 embraced vulnerability, which is what we were talking about before this. Yes, there was much chatter over the course of that year of embracing uh, vulnerability, <laughs> and uh, no, we, I I remember that too at McDonald's. Yeah, we we sat and we had a meal and we talked for quite a while. And I mean, for for other contexts too, I was eighteen at the time. Uh, and had already done a year and would be turning 19 in October. But I was, you know, still a young person, really. And uh, and you had had, you had come in and you had already, you know, you had gone through program, but you had a lot of real experience. I, I remember at the time. You were, 29, yeah, 29. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you had worked at CTV. You were in the midst of producing uh, a docuseries. You know, you were right in the middle of, of stuff. And I was this, you know, 
know-it-all, smart-ass type that, you know, (laughs) he's young and he thinks he knows everything. So obviously there may have been some, a grace period to kind of understand where we're both coming from. But, uh, you know, once we did. Yeah, from your perspective, like if I thought I was going to be like, you know, the leader of something and then a different person comes in and like, you can perceive that as that being taken away from you. Like I would be in the same position. And as soon as I understand that context of you explaining what had happened previous, I understood it, but I, I really did try to make you like, I, I really didn't, how do I say my leadership style is like, we're doing it together. And, and I hope that came across. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's why we're still, uh, we're still friends and like we're, we're close with, uh, obviously Shauna and, uh, and Joy Proft and, you know, lots of people that, uh, sort of came through and, you know, it was a, it's a special place, uh, the Nate Nugget, you know, and, um, and there was other things that we changed too. Like we had changed from, we changed the physical sort of formatting of the publication, which was, I was against. I remember, and and others, everyone else was for, uh, went from a weekly to like a bi-weekly, a little bit more of uh, featurettes and things, kind of like a more of a magazine-y type style as opposed to your straight up newspaper that since time immemorial has kind of been popular. Um, so we had a lot of those type of changes and just how kind of the whole structure of everything ran and you know, I think of uh, other people too, like Trey, you know, you think of Trey Lupashinsky, who um, he had come in and he was like green, like green, green, green. Yeah. And he's working in Fort St. John right now. And either he's working with four reporters under him and, you know, has a really good news sense and is, you know, really sharp and, and, and fearless and tenacious and a go-getter. And so, you know, it's really interesting just how, how, you know, because it's, it's in, for lack of a better term, an intimate time, because you do spend a lot of time together, really pouring over, you know, I get a little nostalgic thinking of Wednesday copy edits at times, just the, like the, the stress of everybody staring down the pages and, and looking is like, is that a word? Like, what the hell is this? Uh, you know, what are we going to do? Frank coming in, what are we going to do about the cover? Like, this is terrible. Frank was used to our layout. Um, just all that type of stuff, right? It's, um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I don't know. Like, I'm sure there are people. I'm sure there are people who look back at that time and like, you know, don't appreciate it. But the people we still talk to, it, as you said, it has this nostalgia and there's this you know, when you work really hard and things are challenging with people, you bond with them in a different way. And I think that's why people are so drawn to media in a lot of ways too. Like there's this team energy, whether it's creating a publication, whether it's doing local news, like you're doing with Lakeland Connect, making a movie, a documentary series, there is like a need for each other. That's that's undeniable. And I think that is being lost in media today for a variety of reasons but one of them is that newsrooms are not nearly as big as they once were you as an individual are doing so much more than what used to be done because of necessity at least as far as how the companies 
Iran, you know, and I, you know, I enjoy the work I do at Lake Lion Connect. A little bit about Lake Lion Connect, if if you will. It's an independent, um, you know, media organization. We're based in Bonneville, Alberta. It's about two and a half hours northeast of uh, Edmonton. Uh, we cover the Bonneville, Cold Lake, St. Paul, Lakeland uh, area. We, uh, if not still, we're, we're consistently close to the most viewed news site in Northern Alberta, um, about 32,000 followers on uh, Facebook, which is our biggest sort of platform. And so it's an online news publication and we also do um, on location videos uh, through Facebook Live. And so it's the, the live aspect is, is really good of the company and it's really sort of on the spot. And um, I think uh, properly adapted to what kind of media is um, today. Um, but where I was going with this is that still, I, I feel this, that, that sort of deep rooted connection with, you know, the people I work with. The problem is um, because it's an independent company started by, and I'll give them the credit, Jenna Colburn and, and, and Chad Colburn who run the company and it's been running since 2015, you know, the usual departments that you have in a news organization are departments of one. You know, they are, you know, okay, uh, the news side and then sales. Okay, that's maybe two people. And then uh, production is either one or two people. And then, uh, you know, then there's just, you know, Jenna who does a little bit of it all. And uh, so that type of uh, bonding over the work that we had at the Nugget where we're staring at the content, this or that, I have not had in, in the same way, um, but it's also something that is dwindling everywhere else. I mean, look at modern radio stations now. Most of them, there's not even a DJ in the community. You're listening to what you're hearing. It's being trucked in from, from elsewhere. There's been big cuts by Bell in, in recent years. I think Harvard just had a, a, had a recent cut. And you can go on and on and on and on. So it, 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 it is becoming a lonelier place to be in the media, lonelier combined with the pressures of today that are so unique and so immediate and so constant, and they never stop. They just never stop. That's what social media, it just never stops. And I think that is, you know, kind of looking forward is going to be a real challenge, whatever this turns out to be, how people receive their information and who provides them that information. I think it's a really big challenge moving forward. I agree. And and as you said, it's not just an independent media places that don't have the teams anymore. We just watched Spotlight, the movie Spotlight again. And, you know, there were four, a team of four people four different minds, four journalists working on stories and doing other stuff at the same time, but one story for a year, a year and a half, that quality of research and, and feedback. I think what you're getting at, and this is where I'm very passionate. When you don't have proper feedback cycles in media, things fall through the cracks. And it's because people are keeping up with what you social media, but like how many people edit your stuff, Michael? Nobody. Yeah. How do you, and like, again, Lakeland Connect is doing the best they can. A lot of places are doing the best they can with what they've got, but without people picking apart each other's articles 
and and pieces like you don't get that next level quality you just can't yeah and i think the demands of you talk about a spotlight for example well who can afford to employ four reporters and not churn out a single story over the course of a year it's absolutely unheard of i mean at least as far as i know and i don't know a ton but it, like that that to me boggles my mind as someone who has to um, produce, you know, at minimum, you know, three stories a day, what are we going to have tomorrow? I need to have things ready to go. And so that's also why, because you, uh, in your introduction, you, uh, (laughs) you wanted to know how to sort of refer to me. And, you know, whenever I hear the term journalist, used by by someone i am a journalist i cringe i cringe and i never i don't like it and here's the reason why i feel that that term journalist you know implies oh you know the, the i have this power of the pen and i'm so you know meticulous with my work and it's so i am the writer and what i produce is is god's given truth and i and i'm doing I'm on this uh, journey of, of, of truth and, and wisdom and uncovering the, the secrets. And it's like, all right, relax. You're a reporter. You're a reporter. You're reporting what's going on. Okay. And that's more so uh, what I do. That isn't to say that, you know, I haven't flexed some quote unquote journalistic uh, muscles over time. So I've had some, some fairly big, um, you know, stories come out. But most of what you're doing is reporting. You know, you're, do, you're not looking for the story. The story is what it is. You just have to report on it. You have to get this. You have to get that. You have to fit it in, and it's got to go. Some, you know, like, okay, council decided they're spending money on this. Okay, well, what is this? Find that out. Talk about it. What's it cost? What's the timeline? You know, is, uh, what do other people say? And on and on and on. That's really most of kind of you know what i do and and it's basically what most quote-unquote journalists are doing you know the and, and there's like the i i went to j school and i i did this and you know and i'm not i'm not trying to you know pick at people here i'm just getting it off my chest but i've i've seen people come through this area that work for other organizations that have come from journalism school and, you know, well, okay, four years, you know, you must have learned something. But sure, right, right out of the gate, a news story seems awfully hard. That's, that's pretty basic. And uh, it, it, it's its own craft, right? I, I think of it more as a trade as opposed to an art, necessarily, if that kind of makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I've actually, you've, you've, ex- you've explained something that I have innately felt too, because I've called myself a journalist and I have flexed journalistic muscles over the last couple of years. I for sure have, but there's a different be- difference between reporting news and being a journalist. And I think, I think that is very important for an audience to know because they need to know what content they're taking in. Is it a journalist doing in-depth research? And just to make note, I'm sure that that spotlight team was doing other where they were doing other stories in that year but they had a chunk of time that was just for one story four people 
people doing research, people doing interviews, people doing writing for a year and year and a half. That's journalism. Yep. Reporting on, you know, the numbers from the government on COVID whatevers, that's reporting. Yeah. I'm yeah, really yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the, uh, a, a good differentiation to make about kind of at least how I see what those, what those jobs are ultimately. Um, and, and, and there's nothing wrong. Like obviously people can't that you're a journalist or, you know, that, that's fantastic. Um, but there is also, if you sort of, especially early on, you're like, oh, I'm a journalist, but you have to kind of be a reporter first. Yeah. As in, those are the, the, the sort of training wheels, like, you know, churn out a hundred, you know, well-written, proper lead, proper structure, good quote, good secondary information, and organize it and format it properly, and then do that a hundred times so that now you can be really comfortable when you're starting to go into multiple interview stories and and then having to talk to people to really specifically drill down on something that isn't going to be necessarily seen just by reading it, but you have to do it in order to get there. You kind of have to go through those those training wheels, at least for what I've found. And when I came here, that's that's been a great thing about coming here is that you know, immediately I, you know, I got that opportunity to experience a lot of different um, news situations, uh, I guess. And I mean, for this area, you know, we have a, it, things were strong politically municipally. Uh, there's a lot, uh, a, a lot of provincial stuff that goes along. It's a very politically active area. And you also get a federal element because of the uh, air base in Cold Lake. So there's three levels of government that are kind of closely, not to mention, you know, um, four First Nations communities that are in the, uh, you know, in the area, uh, multiple Métis settlements as well. It's kind of a real melting pot of, of different types of, of, of politics to, to, to people and backgrounds and, and, and all of that in a, a small area. So I've been grateful to have gotten that type of experience. Yeah, and I remember watching you because you've done lots of live shows as well. And quantity is so important. You were so comfortable on air pretty quickly and you became like really good at interviewing people too. I mean, you interviewed Shauna and I when we got back from the Ottawa protest. And I just remember thinking, wow, like like Michael's really good at this. Um, what I hear you saying is is that quantity element of learning how to structure a story properly learning how to write an actual article, not an editorial, would set you up to properly communicate a more investigative piece, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that that in order to, um, what would be a, a, a good analogy for this? You know, it, it, you, you just have to sort of go through the steps. In, in radio, it's called, um, you know, flight time, or you, you're, you're flying the plane, and that's just operating the board. Right. You know, you get your time flying the plane, you're comfortable, then you can kind of be a pilot. Um, that's if you get into a uh, <clears throat> some sort of dugout or something where, where you get the opportunity to really field on and, and throw, OK, make the calls all the time. On and on. 
I think uh, I think that's really important. And then once you get through that, it's like, okay, now I'm ready. Now I can actually do this. I'm comfortable in these situations. And and if you jump a step, you're probably not going to feel in, as confident in yourself in reporting something that you need to dig on and really make sure that you 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 kind of hold true with, right? Yeah, and and let's let's just give a little throwback. The nugget. I'll give you a second to cough. The nugget. Do you need to get water or anything? Yes, I do. If you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I got some water here too. So as I was saying, giving props to the newspaper at Nate, writing for the student newspaper gives you a lot of experience with interviews, with writing, and like a place where you can make mistakes. But we also had some really cool interviews um, that took place too. Like when you're a student, you can say, hey, we had Tommy Chong. That was after that was after you. I believe Tora interviewed Tommy Chong for our drug, our drug themed issue. But yeah. Yeah. Well, but that touches on the same thing. Was that at the Nate Nugget, you were doing reporting. Yeah. At other uh, campus newspapers, universities, there's a whole lot of pretend journalism kind of going on where what do you, you were. That? What do you mean by that? Well, is that you haven't gone through the, the rigors of the, the basics. And that's what I feel like the, the reporting part is. If you're going to deliver information, you have to have the basics down, which is which is the pick out the lead, have the structure right, here's your quote, and on and on and on. I understand it's boring. I understand. But this is the format. This is in order to circumvent the format, you must first be a master in the format, right? In order to break it down, you must have uh, that experience. And so at Nate, we were focused on doing news stories. Now in the arts and culture, it got pretty, you know, right about whatever you like. Abu yeah. In the issue side, it was that that's what we were trying to do. And we also had an editorial that the editors would write. And I thought that was very important. And but you got that experience. So yeah, when I came out of that sort of scenario, I could I could do reporting. I was ready to go. And so there wasn't a whole lot of extra. It was just the still fine-tuning and, and doing it that was that was important okay so now I'm I'm curious about this because what I see, observe from my experience is that we have in alternative media at times a lack of understanding that basic format and those qualities of communication that are really effective and they have a certain standard a certain quality but there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of like really wanting to seek ideas in the alternative media space but then in what we call legacy media we have people following that format but we do not have there's no stretch now there's no next level critical thinking there in my opinion a lot there's no um journalism happening what are your thoughts on that am i wrong with that well the uh, i'll tackle the what you mentioned first you know there's a lot of um, and I see it a lot more on like sports type of the sites that aren't very big at all. It's just kind of someone's blog or this or that. And I can tell immediately that they haven't because the it'll be some sort of story about, um, oh, uh, Connor McDavid is uh, unhappy at Edmonton, let's just say, as an Oiler. Um, and the first three paragraphs will be, 
I don't need to tell you how good of a player Connor McDavid is. He's the best player in the NHL, blah, 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 blah. And then by the third or fourth paragraph, it's like, but sounds like McDavid might not be so happy in Edmonton. And it's like, why doesn't the story start there? That That's, we all know this. This isn't um, language arts. Like this is, we're, we're trying to communicate some information. So start with what's important and then tell us, illustrate later. And if you haven't heard, Connor McDavid, kind of a big deal. So that type of thing. And so I, I see it more in that space than I do in hard news type of stuff. And I can just tell, I just, I don't even have to read it. I can just scan the words and I'm like, no, the information is not there yet. Okay. Yeah, this is why I hardly read you anyway, and I'm out, and it doesn't take very long at, at all. The second part with the legacy media, you know, in Canada, it's um, unique, obviously, because we have a public broadcaster, for one, the United States doesn't. Um, and there's been a lot of uh, focus and attention on the CBC in particular. I don't think it's necessarily fair to just lop them in, although I think they are the worst offender. Um, but it is something that is done by multiple news uh, organizations. And, and that's exactly it is that it's that cut above, you know, or cut below, it, however way you want to visualize it is that, yes, um, it seems there is a willingness to really dig on one type of story, but be like, oh, I'm not sure how that happened. Anyway, on to uh, on to this, and it's like, hmm, okay, that's that's interesting. Um, is that? I wonder why that is. I I wonder is that showing some sort of um, <laughs> political bend or 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 something? I don't know, but it's it is it's out there and. I think people are, are are becoming more wise to it. I don't necessarily think that they're becoming better new, news readers, but I do think that they are becoming more agitated by how it's gone along. And I think that just became exasper exasperated. I'm still not saying that right. Anyway, you get my idea. It, it, it became worse during COVID. And yeah. now it, I think a lot of trust has been broken. And, for some that, you know, will never return. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I realized what it is. It's, it's not just CBC, but even like other news stations, it's the pretending to be journalism. And there's been some really great um, people talking out on this um, and showing examples of propaganda dressed up as journalism. And it's very hard when you have a history, Trish Wood talked about this, when the CBC has a history of doing journalism, doing really good quality journalism, that it's hard for somebody to realize when that switch is happening. It's it's very tricky. So it is- And I don't want to just, just lop it on them because I, have a, I had a perfect example here about uh, a month ago. So at the University of Blue Quills, which was- um, formerly uh, a residential school just outside of St. Paul, Alberta, that actually in the 70s became the first um, indigenous uh, sort of controlled university uh, in Alberta. Um, 
So like many other uh, residential schools, um, they have started to do some scanning of the land to see if there's potentially unmarked graves. What they determined, well, I was there because they, they had the researchers there and this was going to be their first um, revelation of kind of the, the bits of land that they that they saw after. And um, so long story short, they have 19 areas identified. They can't go as far as that they're unmarked graves. They're quote unquote reflections of interest, which could mean that they are. And there's still lots and lots of land um, to go through. CBC had two cameras there. Um, I think four or five people there. It's about a 45 minute drive for me to go to Blue Quills. I, this happened in the morning. I think I left at 1 PM and I, and I noticed that they were still doing interviews. They, uh, by the time I got back, they had a story up about it and it was better than the one I wrote. Well, and, and rightfully so it should be, I'm just, you know, okay. but yep. they, they had their team there, but they had it all. And it's like, man, that is quick, but they had, they didn't, you know, there was some of that, you know, political side that was present there. They didn't make it up. It was said by some of the speakers. Um, but I thought they did a good job. You know, I, I, I can't criticize what they did. They, they went about it the right way. They talked to the right people and on and on and on. But it's, that is really the only time you get to know really, because we, if you're both at the same place at the same time, right? It's interesting how I might phrase a story and how you might phrase a story and all the, we, we have the same sort of possibilities to come up. We could talk to the same people. We could talk to different people. We could think this fact is more important or this detail and maybe not this detail. Maybe it goes farther down. That's when you really know. Yeah, otherwise, you, you do have to, you know, do a little bit of projection perhaps to see, okay, is there a bias here or, or for the things like what, I interviewed you about and Shauna was about, okay, this is what you guys firsthand experienced. And this is what the news agency is saying occurred, but is there more to it than that? It certainly seemed like it from your perspective. So that's how, you know, is that otherwise you just don't because it's really hard. It's, yeah. it, it's really hard to write a good news story. This is why I go back to the reporting thing is that this is a tricky thing. It's yes, it's basic, but it, that doesn't mean it's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy to pick out the proper lead each time and, and to have it go about K okay, and have it really punched up. So with that said, you, you have to, if any type of manipulation that then gets into it and not putting just what we think should be the case versus what was the case, that creates a, a slippery slope. Now, I didn't see it for this one particular occasion, but those are the type of scenarios where you could get yourself, uh, you know, some real true knowledge of, okay, are they up to something or are they not up to something? You know what I mean? 
Totally. And I mean, I know firsthand people who stopped watching CBC after watching how they reported on the convoy specifically. And there were so many people there with with their phones going, right? And having live streams that you can't keep that down. Um, but I, what I hear you saying is for the average news consumer at home watching, unless they're on the ground, how do they know? And then for a reporter or a journalist, well, however they see themselves, what is your level of self-awareness? And this is why self-development work, self-awareness, like it seems like it's separate, but if you don't know how to understand your own biases and, and your own leanings, like it makes it very hard for you to be a good reporter, a good media professional, I think. Yeah, I think it was Young who um, was saying that, you know, if you're a really good um, psychoanalyst, there's no way that you can't be changed by, you know, analyzing someone else is that it goes to that level. And when you are um, out there in the field and, and really immersed in something, it's hard not to feel it. It's hard not to have it carry with you uh, throughout a day or, or, or days or on and on. You know, there's, I still think of a, a little girl who passed away here in uh, Bonneville who had um, DIPG, which is an inoperable brain tumor. And in my first summer of uh, reporting, I had interviewed her, um, her mom and dad because they were having a big fundraiser. And it was a live interview for about 15, 20 minutes. And um, one of the first like on-air interviews that I was quite nervous for because it's hard enough talking um, to parents about their child who's about to die, never mind having it recorded and to be watched. And uh, it was a tremendous story because she, uh, they thought she only had uh, a couple more months to live. She ended up living two more years. And uh, Princess Emma, that story is still one I think about a bit, um, just because uh, it's, she's only four years old. And it's just, it's just crazy. And, you know, her, her, her mom was just tremendous and, and so strong throughout it all. And, you know, you, you're really left to wonder how you would react in these situations if it were happening to you. And you take some of that home and it, and it really, uh, it lives with you. It lives with you. I had a, I had a conversely that problem when, when COVID was happening. So much information. That was the real crisis of COVID for so many people. You know, afforded by some luxury. Obviously, Canada, we're we're in a we're in a fairly rich country, and most people are are doing well enough. That when the initial lockdowns happened, uh, no one knew how to react, and they were just online on social media all day. Like, what's what's going on? What's somebody saying? What what are the numbers here? What are they doing in Quebec? Trudeau's speaking. It's nine thirty. Dean is at three thirty. Blah 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 blah. The tests the Oh, the the local geographic area reporting this. Um, this is closed. There's such an inundation of of information that it became really, really, really taxing. I know for me personally, and it made me step away from. Uh, I thought maybe at the time uh, 
from media forever uh, because it was, I just looked at myself and I said, why I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want to be, um, you know, reporting every day about tests and then have it go on for a year. And then, and then there were other layers to that because it got really, really hot here politically. I mean, if we, if you want to go into that, I can, I can share if you, if you want. Well, it is interesting because what I think you're touching on here too, that, you know, it's very easy for like the average person to be like, fuck the media professionals. But there is a certain kind of trauma. <laughs> There's a certain kind of trauma. And and it, it, the average person doesn't understand what it's like to interview people and intimately hear their stories and things like that. And then with obviously COVID. But yeah, I'm curious, like, like what did you find the most challenging to navigate? Because you're a pretty self-aware guy, not perfect. You got a self-awareness. You're well-read. And now this is happening. How do you report properly? Yeah, it's 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 difficult. And I always just try to, you know, frame it because, um, you know, I started, I noticed that with this gap of trust already there. And if we were going to do a daily cycle, I was like, okay, first off, immediately when it started, you know, we had a third of our advertisers immediately pull which is, and which led to uh, half of the company being laid off. And I was well, one of- Why did they pull, sorry? Well, they, they pulled just simply because a lot of them are restaurants or different type of service things. And you have an immediate shutdown and you're like, well, how can I pay to advertise when I'm not even open? Or you know what I mean? And so that was a struggle. Half the company was laid off. And, uh, and now- Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I just want to point out- yeah. At a time where we probably need the most minds on what's going on, there's less resources. That's that's a big deal, you know. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I'm just kind of left to my own devices uh, in a room in my house with a laptop and trying to figure out, okay, what can we do here? And so every day at nine thirty, I watch Trudeau. And then Dina was on Dina Hinshaw, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, former chief medical officer of health in Alberta. For those that aren't on such intimate basis as I thought I might have been by watching hours of Hinshaw. So Dina would come on at uh, at 3.30. And in case there was anything big, not just the whole numbers of tests, but for this area specifically, if something was big, I could cut it off before even the big outlets could. And so I'm like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go live at five and, and try to go everything. Boom, boom, boom. Preparing throughout the day for basically this COVID debrief from everywhere because people didn't even know where to really go. Like, obviously there's the legacy media, but they're a little leery and then it becomes so focused to, you just try to fine tune and curate to the, to the, viewers and readers that I already have and see where it goes. And so that was a, that five o'clock show was born out of Hinshaw being at three 30. And then we got sponsors for it and then became a, its own uh, vehicle uh, for itself, but primarily based upon the positive tests of the day. And I never went so far as to say how one should feel 
about or what a positive test relates to this. And I, you know, there weren't, I wasn't being joined by virologists or uh, anything like that. It was just simply, hey, here, here's, here's what they are saying. Take it for what it's worth, but here's what they're saying. And so it was born out of that. But it became into, once we went to the next winter, the, the sort of early 2021 is when things got dramatically hot because people were sick of it. They're like, what the hell is going on? Uh, particularly in this area. I mean, small town Alberta, I think, had a general feeling that was just kind of, hey, why why up in my business? Yeah. Right. And then you're talking about vaccines and that's its own thing. But first of all, why why up in my business? And <clears throat> you're constantly shutting down the businesses and reopening them. So there was uh, a situation, and I got a tip. I, I, I did relate, I pride myself in the relationships I had with, you know, certainly local politicians or this or that. They knew that, and I think it has to be done in small towns, is that you can speak frankly um, to a, a reporter and you can sort of speak to them as a person. And they knew I was going to, you know, quote, I, I wasn't looking to get them, I'm not out to get you. I'm trying to get the quote. And so I, I got a tip from uh, the Reeve of the Municipal District of Bonneville that they were going to dine in for lunch when it was uh, not allowed and that there were going to be restaurants opening in sort of protest. So <clears throat> I go there. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous because I'm like, in my head, it's just black. National news, national news. This is a big story. National news, blah, blah, blah. I don't think he realized it or the others that were in attendance. They thought it would just sort of exist in a nice little bubble. Boy, was that wrong. And uh, so anyway, I interviewed them live there and I take a picture, which then became widely used, used by the CBC, used by Global National where the three of them are uh, the Reeve, the mayor of Bonneville, and the mayor of Lackle Bish, um, all were, were sitting at the table and eating. So I do the story. Everything's sort of fine. This is on, I think, a Wednesday. What we didn't know then on the Wednesday that we soon, everyone knew by Thursday evening, was that seniors at Bonneville Extended Care were starting to die. And we're dying of COVID-19. That's what they said. So a lot of people became very upset. And it was a very loud contingent on both sides, whether they agreed with the politicians standing up and doing that versus other people saying, how can you do this? You're killing, you're killing our seniors by doing this. And by Friday, it is national news. And by Monday, the MD of Bonneville pulled all our advertising, which was not uh, insignificant, um, which that relationship has never been uh, repaired, which I probably shouldn't be revealing now, but 
Uh, no. We're trying. We're trying. We've got new. We've got new initiatives. I hope they join us for Rib Fest uh, coming up in Cold Lake uh, in July. And you know, please share. I'm a big fan of the current Reeve uh, Barry Kalinsky, but yeah, there's been some challenges over the years. See, but what you're what you're doing right now? Because I have some thoughts, obviously, and I had some thoughts while you were reporting for the Bonneville for Bonneville for Lakeland throughout it, Michael. Why aren't you fucking talking about this or whatever? Like, hey, this is going on. Um, but you're 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 sharing a story that does increase empathy. Like, like advertisers are gonna pull if they don't like what you're doing. And that's anywhere. So how do we build media companies and things that can withstand that? That that the integrity integrity doesn't necessarily get put to the back burner when you're trying to feed your employees because that's also part of it feed your family feed your employees it's tough well and it was uh, i i had a really good relationship with the reeve what is and the what is that the reeve is essentially the mayor of of a county okay gotcha. so it's just basically they're they're you know that that that's all it is for either mds or counties and he invited me there like yeah th this was the whole thing and so it was a sour, sour time. And then I think it became as the outbreak uh, grew at extended care, I think up to um, eight seniors died at extended care. Yeah. But if I'm not um, mistaken, I don't want to go ahead. Weren't, weren't the majority of them vaccinated at that time? So this was, so this was another yeah. complex layer of, trying to remember precisely i had basically through the there was 50 beds and there was i knew the total amount of positive tests between the residents and the workers and i knew how many were uh were vaccinated and it stood to reason if those numbers were true that some that had been vaccinated could very well have been ones that, that passed away. Yes. Yes. Which my publisher, who when they when they put it on social media, it became a little misleading as to how it was originally reported, which put me in a pretzel, and I didn't realize because she definitely we said that it that was definitely it was the case that someone who was Vaccine, blah blah blah, and I and I don't know for certain because unless I talk to the family, each individual one, like you know, you want to have that level of evidence. We could we could show and likely that that was the case, but do I know hundred percent for sure? No, and so. Yeah, that whole situation put me in a bind of like, why the hell am I doing this? Why, what, what? I didn't, I didn't ever get into media to just be this bearer of, of grave information. Everybody hates me. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, you're getting on both sides, people are mad because you're not talking enough about, let's say, the vaccine and the potential for transmission. And now we know that's true. And, and then on the other side, people mad at you because you're even looking into that because yeah. oh yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah the both sides of it there was no uh there was no right way and 
you know, there was plenty of um, rallies and and, and and such because, you know, there's still signs in this area that are, you know, anti-COVID vaccine. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it just became, you weren't, you felt like you were serving no one, you know, obviously it must've been somewhat good because everyone was, had a gripe with you. Um, but, you yeah. know, because you weren't team this or team that you're, you're left in a no man's land. You're just like, man, I'm just taking so much shit. And it's from the first thing I see on my phone in the morning, blowing up on comments to the end of the day to there's just the stresses of trying to, you know, move through this information. Yeah, I uh, I, I had a, a bit of a epiphany, and uh, I decided to step away for I think it was about a total of five six months total, but uh, decided I wanted to keep the hockey job, and then if I was going to do the hockey job, uh, I may as well work for the company I used to work for because. It's all good. It's a good scenario. They treat me well and and all that. And then after a year of doing my own show, that was sort of like comedically based and stuff. Here I am back in the news where I said I was gonna, wasn't going to be and such is life. But um, I think it did make me much more resilient at the end of the day. It was just a scenario that as everyone experienced, was probably the most volatile it's been in their lives publicly. Yeah, the divisiveness has been like lost friends, lost families, like just really, it's been intense for so many. And I really appreciate you sharing your story because I think it just brings to light. It's easy again to tell people how they should do their jobs. Even uh, like I always laugh at the idea of like somebody in the stands yelling at the sports players like, you know, do a better job on the field. It's like, they're not. Shoot the puck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pass the ball. You idiot. Um, and I think that happens a lot in media. And to be fair, it's been earned. It has been earned. Yeah. It's been earned. And how do we repair the media world? How is it? How does it? What do you think? What do you think would revitalize journalism? I'm not talking legacy. I, I mean, we know podcasts like Joe Rogan are getting more views than, you know, the combination of legacy media. But what does really good investigative or reporting look like in the future? I really don't know. I We might be at the end of news. And I mean this very seriously. Let's say, for example, we are T minus 10 years away from no one owning uh, a satellite dish, from no one uh, paying for any type of news anyway, so that the legacy uh, media eventually just shutters in. They cannot take it anymore. They can only bleed so much blood. What happens then? Because sure, there is independent organizations like the one I uh, like the one I work for, but we're just a, a small little thing. 
to try to um, have a widespread influence that has some sort of cohesion between people that don't know each other. I don't know if it's really going to happen. You know, we're, we are becoming our own curators of the information we want to receive. And because we curate this information ourselves, we are not, quote unquote, all at the dinner table watching the same type of news that we once did. The things that would grab a, a, a province or a country as a news story will only become more and more and more fractured that and we've already begun to see it, but I could see it getting way worse, is that you would literally believe you're living in two different planets, depending on the stream of information that you receive, whether it's like a CNN or a Fox or, or what have you. Um, I, really, I really don't know what it will be. If anything, it will be so much, you talk about, yeah, pretend journalism. There, it'll just be pretend everything. It'll be something that is literally twenty seconds long. Uh, a, a, a tick. It'll be even shorter than TikTok. Whatever that will be, but smaller. And it'll just be here. It is. This is what it is. Next, you know that there, there will always be the information or the or the quote unquote the content because there's so much more content today, but as far as news and as far as good information, will there be more of it? Uh, maybe by total weight, because there's so much more content over time, but by percentage, uh, by uh, the percentage of people who actually then get to listen to it. And and then what happens there? I, 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 I'm really not super optimistic about how we progress content wise today, because as, as the legacy media fails, everyone becomes the same. It is on similar ground. Like think about what Twitter has done. For example, everyone can voice their opinion uh, at any time on, on whatever, but how then do you gain authority through what you're saying how, how do you gain legitimacy is it just because i like the type of things that you're saying and don't know that they're true or that there is some mechanism in which i can check that it's true and it's good information and some things can get will and think there will be either repercussions or response to this information coming out because that's already been something that's been failing. You can have, you know, groundbreaking stories, whistleblower type stories of government malfeasance of any type, but will it matter? No, it hasn't for years in Canada. Right. Because 
people are living in those two different worlds. Like it blows my mind where I see people who celebrate Justin Trudeau right now still. And I don't get it. Like I actually can't comprehend it. And I recognize they can't comprehend how I think and what I'm thinking, like the information I have. But I do think there's objective truths. And I do think over time they are revealed. Like things that I was talking about two years ago that I was called dangerous for are now being revealed in mainstream. But I think this is what you're getting at. People but seem- what's happened? So so what happened after that? So, okay, you were right. Yeah, and that's what you're getting at is it's revealed and somehow it's downplayed and not a big deal. Even Whoops. though- even though a year I'm sorry. Ago, yeah. <laughs> even though a year ago, if I spoke that, I was a dangerous person. It's wild. Yeah. What what are the um and I mean this I I read a book uh here recently, it was called The News by Alanda Baton, who's um a uh sort of modern philosopher type uh, type guy. It's really it's really interesting. And this was written about 10 years ago, and it was sort of a critique of news and, you know, what would be, um, how could we do it better for both um, uh, provider and uh, receiver? And there was something about it that he said, that one of the innate problems with news is that we stand so, we are so close to the picture that we can't see it. And this is what news is, is that we are seeing a a, a, a little thread in a uh, in a quilt that is uh, ten thousand threads, a hundred thousand threads deep. That in in order for us to really, you know, um, see the what is going on, we have to step back. But by nature of what news is is that we are continuing to learn as as it develops. We constantly change. Then we don't know where we're going well, and we don't know how to feel. And it leaves us ultimately more, more anxious. And then it will take, you know, the book about COVID will be written in 2030. And then we can really say, you know, what, what the hell happened here? But we're still even too close at, at times. And it has been uh, three years. You know what I'm saying? So it, that's just by its nature, how it kind of is in the news. And how, how do you get around that? I I don't know. Um, you, you, that's that's almost on the receiver end to to figure out as as you as somebody who either wants to be along for an anxiety riddled ride, or if you want to, um, for lack of a better term, just kind of you know bury your head in the sand a little bit and just say you know what I'm going to live my life and you know what by not knowing has it really changed anything in my life. Well, this is where we really dug in. I'm going to do a little pitch. Seeing Truth and Lies in Media is a course that we did. And like one of the modules is all about signal versus distraction and being able to discern for yourself what information is a signal versus a distraction. Now, 
something like vaccine information, I would say that was a signal for everyone. Get educated on what's going on there because it affected everybody. But the ins and outs of COVID positive tests or things like that, like there is a place where people do need to distance and see what's more important in their life. And I think there's a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people who are big picture, like they're looking at the themes, they're looking at the bigger picture, but it's almost like being able to oscillate. It's, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. You have to wear multiple hats um, kind of at once. And it's, the inundation of, of, of information. Um, there was something I would say, I was saying during COVID because everyone was saying, stay safe. And I was saying, stay sane. Um, because, uh, we, we really don't know how to handle the toys that we have. Uh, we, we don't know how to properly regulate time we have engaging with screens mm -hmm. um our whole you know if you're in the news business you are in front of a screen all day and by all day i mean from the time you wake up to the time your eyes shut there's a screen in front of your face um it's not healthy no and how do we drop in, drop out, and still be able to do our jobs? Because you know, as I know, if if you are late to the story, uh, you know that that could be your ass. You know, you got to be on top of it. Uh, but news has a has a way of making you feel that uh, every by the time you wake up, it you know, eight in the morning, you're already behind and your day hasn't even started. Yeah. So then how do we create media professionals, journalists, reporters who are regulated, nervous system regulated, who are healthy in that environment? I don't know if it can exist. No, I, I, I don't know how you do it. Um, it's the old uh, Pat Galenza thing, uh, program chair at radio and TV. He says if you get into radio, two or three things are going to happen. You're going you're gonna to start smoking. You're going to start drinking, and you're going to get divorced. Well, so far, I'm at uh, probably one and a half out of two. Um, <laughs> never been married, but... Uh, <laughs> but this is, but, and this is, I guess, I mean, this is pretty, uh, this is pretty intense conversation actually but that I guess is the whole thing that we're trying to figure out especially with East Anchor Media and what I've been trying to figure out arguably since at Nate is okay that's how it's been what does it look like in the future what can we create how do we create more intentional media professionals I'm not and and, and it's happening but I just want to rewind to, to see if I understand what you're saying you're saying news is dying obviously not media but how news media is going to swallow up news. Yes. It's already happening. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is just, um, it, it'll be enveloped by yeah. it. it. There was at one point where the news was the media. Now the media is the news. Yeah. Um, and so it's not about 
information so much as it is Tucker Carlson. It isn't so much about information as it is, you know, so-and-so on the, on the left. You know what I mean? Um, it's, we get, um, we're malnutritioned. We get the, uh, we get something that we can live off of, but it's not good for us. It's not, it's not, it's not the fulfilling thing. It is just going to make you want more of the bad thing. It, it's uh it's a dirty drug in a way um we we like oh everyone's like well if you're going to be me you got a passion and you know what you need hot takes hot takes if you're not bringing hot takes to the table then who are you so you just make outlandish bold claims this this is in particular in the sports media that are just so you know by nature, argumentative and just to elicit uh, any type of reaction. And by if it gets a reaction good enough, it's not even about what they said. Do they even believe what they said? Uh, probably not. There's probably a good chunk of them uh, on these so many of these type of debate shows. It's what makes me, uh, you know, leery about being in in sports media for a long time is that I'm not a hot take. Uh, guy, I'd rather be, you know, kind of have some sort of fundamental understanding of, of the of the history of the game and, and and how this relates to things that have happened in the past. And you 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 find allusions and similarities, and there's a poetry to that, as opposed to um, Austin Matthews uh, and the Toronto Maple Leafs are the biggest playoff chokers of, of, of history. The Boston Bruins, this has been the worst choke in NHL history, uh, blah, 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 which, you know, maybe you can make a case for, but you just come out and you so brazenly put your opinion out there and it's like, and you just pound the table and you're like, yes, no, this is exactly what it is. And take a hike if you don't think so. And, and on and on and that and that's and that boils over into news media as well but um as long as people are talking that's what you know it's ba -ba 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 -ba, time engaged uh, interactions like dislike hate it love it comment on it what an idiot this guy is he's so right doesn't matter doesn't even matter anymore I, I've thought lately, I don't know how I'm going to coin it. I probably need to polish it up a bit, but what so much of media is selling right now is just self-righteousness. Just that yeah. high feeling right. It's a, it's a vanity. It's uh it's uh it's so evident that the, that we, uh, you know, should be able to make these claims because we are, you know, ESPN, we are Sportsnet, we are, you know, 630, whatever it is, like, you go on and on. And uh, yeah, there is a, a sort of, you know, I, but this, this, this goes deep into the culture too, just about how we, how we, uh, what we value, frankly, um, because you can turn it off. You vote with your with your eyeballs, with your wallet. Um, 
but will you? And that's hard. And I'm not trying to tell people that, uh, you know, I am some, you know, just I've got it mastered, man. And everything I I'm constantly, everything that I want to do, I'm reading 12 hours. No, none of that. No, it's, it's hard. Um, but that's what you have to, uh, keep in mind is that, you know, by you, 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 you have to self-regulate your emotions as the reader and as the viewer of the content because as long as it makes you feel some sort of way it can be deemed a success yeah and again that's why we take in content it's not to say this is good bad right or wrong it's just the awareness of if you're being emotionally manipulated and such michael Always great conversations. Okay, I ask this question to everyone. What is the biggest lie you once believed? I don't know. I've been pretty attuned for a long time. Um, <laughs> biggest lie. I'm really struggling with this one. Biggest lie I once believed. I mean, you're talking to somebody that, you know, had, uh, I think it was like junior high, I'd read like a couple thousand pages on JFK's assassination. So I was pretty open to uh, alternative. So my biggest lie I once believed, well, maybe it's that um, in media right now, uh, it's that uh, if you work hard enough and you're the best at it, that you will get the big job. And I mean this as far as there are so many other factors now beyond your work performance that dictate whether you will get um, a promotion or a, uh, uh, you know, a big break, as it were. And that's, you know, going to sound not too great, but as a uh, cisgendered white male, um, means my, I'm going to have to be really, really good uh, probably one day in order to be a, a, a big time broadcaster. Um, but I think it's just, I think it's just harmful to everyone. It's, it's, you get into tokenism, you get into, you know, thinking as people, as members of a certain group, as opposed to Nicole, Michael, you know, and, um, and, and really trying to find the, the top quality person and to, to do the job. And, and unfortunately, that is not just a media problem now, but a, but a problem that is um, invading many um, professions. But I think, you know, if I, if I really drill down, that might be what, yeah, biggest lie. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah, and, and I think that's why you're talking about in a traditional system, in like legacy media or systems that are already in place that's why i think we're going to see so much breaking down from those systems because the people who are 
wanting to work hard and they're just gonna they're just creating other things you know it's gonna be really interesting to see what the media landscape looks like in a few years really. yeah no it's true it's true uh lord knows where it's going but uh we're, we're gonna be uh i think as george carlin said we're gonna be a front row at the freak show so uh you know get your popcorn and uh you know try not to uh self-destruct uh while while it's all going on yeah exactly oh my gosh okay one one more question for you michael what are you most looking forward to um i uh, i've long had a uh a want to to write something uh for publication as far as uh something in long form um and so i have uh, a draft of a novella that, that i wrote um two summers ago that uh this summer i i want to get um pretty serious about and so um you know that's that's something i kind of uh you know it's it's been a sort of a promise to myself um to kind of pursue and do and it's uh you know it's a lonely thing but um at some point you have to um just kind of throw yourself into it and just you know come what may because uh like you say we don't know where anything's going but i feel longer term that is more the space i want to be i want to be looking at the overall picture and and supplementing it with something to say instead of saying by form and relaying what other people said about a particular event yeah and, and just on a personal level having known you for five plus years now that is where your real unique genius i think will will get to shine and, and how you can serve people is because you've done all this work in the nitty-gritty and then it's it's like stepping out and being able to you know see that bigger picture and and weave stories from that place, you know, I think there's so yeah. much. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful, but I do love the hockey job. I love doing play by play. I yeah. love live broadcasting. Um, there's no other way to do it. It is, uh, it is a real thrill and you get to be right in the middle of something. You're really in it. And when you talk about what a flow state is and kind of that, there's like 12 times a season when you're you're really in it and those are uh those are things you can't take for granted because you realize so little in your day-to-day -day life probably that you don't ever get that privilege to to feel that feeling where you're so in flow with it as opposed to kind of working at it doing it you're just you're one with it so that's that's really neat hopeful for that but tight time i promised myself by 25 there'd be a book and so this summer is the time to get it, it done so. october right yeah yeah go time that's right amazing and and i think that that's so i feel like play-by-play -play is almost like meditation for you like not anyone can just step into that and just be in a flow state i think that that's 
so cool. Yeah. It's really hard. It, and that's what I like about it is that you have to spit out a lot of it. It is um, like verbal. It's like being in a verbal weight room because you get to paint how this particular thing happened. And there's so many different ways that you can describe it and how you best allow the listener to visualize what is going on if they can't see it and, and, and describe it while also conveying underlying things, particularly the, the emotion of the game, the excitement of the game. Uh, that has to just come from your voice and, and come from your, you know, that, that you really invested, that, that this is exciting. And you can't just say this is exciting, but you have to show that you're excited right? It's, it's, it's to show it all and not just tell it. So it's really, it's a fun challenge, but now after doing it for four seasons, um, you know, I, I, I feel more comfortable and, uh, and then it just makes it really trying to just do a, a well-rounded job because the puck moves fast. Um, and, uh, you have to be able to, to spit out and be able to look down at a number and, and relay it quickly and, and on and on and on. So it's it's fun though. It really is a lot of fun. What what's the dream with that? Like, what would be your ideal position in play by play, in the future? I mean, I would, uh, you know, particular opportunities that I'd like. I'd like to maybe step up a level, whether that's major, junior, or you know, long term. I mean, I had um, someone who hired me, Dave Dawson, to do with junior B provincials. You know, he was really trying to. And I don't think he was doing it maliciously by any means. He was doing it to, you know, being encouraging was saying, look, you know, you, you could be in the NHL in 10 years if you really, you know, keep this up um, because you, you got it. And so I know that there's a lane there. Um, if I continue to work hard um, and uh, bring what I think is a reflection of, of me doing the game and not just a uh, cookie cutter broadcaster. You know, I don't look like, uh, you know, a lot of other broadcasters, uh, you know, and this is shorter than my hair has been uh, <laughs> before, for example, but, you know, just these other elements of personality, you know, I try to use unusual words at times just to break up the kind of monotony of the same, you know, things like that to you know, just try to make it sound like this is, this is a little bit different than I've ever heard it done before. And, you know, is it kind of my own thing? Um, so yeah, there's uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly open to it. I, I, I think it, you know, if I could have it both ways, it'd be a bit of that. And then in the, in the off season, there would be kind of time to, you know, retreat to my own golden eye and, and write the next book, you know? Um, that sounds like an awesome life and yeah. totally, totally believable, totally doable. Yeah. Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. We will see. We will see. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for joining me today. We like. Yes. Thank you. And, and best of luck going forward. This has been a big success, this podcast, and uh, you're doing a great job. And 
you, you deserve to have that recognition and uh, you've taken a lot of big jumps and risks. And I'm really glad to see how this has grown, how your own you know personal channels have grown. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on Saturday in the flesh. Yes, it's going to be so fun. So, so good. Thanks, Michael. Thank you.